Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? My latest guest is Dean Friedman. From his teenage years to today, Dean has spent over 50 years in the advertising business, working on multiple iconic brands. You will hear of his literal journey from the mailroom and how it encompasses multiple experiences in unique family-run and ultimately generational organizations, from donor to today's Real Integrated to Friedman Capital Partners. Dean is candid, opinionated, bold, and touches on many points that have never been more relevant. Please enjoy this 47th episode of Generation Excellence with Dean Friedman. Dean Friedman, welcome to Generation Excellence podcast. I'm, I'm so glad you've agreed to do this. We've been at it for a while talking about it. So yours is really a multi-chapter textbook on in and around unique generational businesses, including even your most recent or your latest venture. So we'll try to touch, I'll try to touch on all of them, somewhat linear. Um, a lot I want to cover in your storied career. So we'll we'll get into it all. But I gotta I gotta just start in your earlier, your young years, because I don't know much about that, but you basically grew up around the advertising business. Uh, right, I started in when I was 16. And so you said recruited in when you were 16? I started at 16. Did, of course, so at 16. started in the mailroom. Okay. And then had a unique opportunity two weeks into it. Jimmy August, who was the marketing director at Donor, said, look, we're, we're pitching Tootsie Roll. We need some basic on-the-ground research. So at 16 years old, I went out to the store, got bags of candy, went out to Gross Point, um, started handing out candy to young kids and interviewing them with my questionnaire. About an hour into it, five police cars come running up. I was going to say, handing out candy to young kids. And, um, and they arrested me for you know soliciting minors. And I immediately had them call the agency and they had, where's your business card? Well, I didn't have a business card. I'm two weeks into it. But um, that was fundamental. You have to get clearance before you do research, number one. But it was basic marketing research. The next week, I learned my lesson. I got approval. I went to the YMCA, all African-Americans. And I handed out the same candy. And I got such totally different answers. Mm. But it was axiomatic that you have to understand the consumer before you try to sell them something. And um, I learned that at a young age. So you get that very young, real experience. So you're a student, you're doing work. Did you, were you, did you always know this is, you wanted to be in the advertising business or did you have aspirations of doing something else? I don't know. The family, the Friedman family, had been in the steel business, um, big warehousing steel business. Um, my father died when I was 10 years old. We moved to Detroit. Okay. Four years later, my mother is dating a guy who runs an ad agency. Right. I met him the first time. He'd just flown back from shooting Alex Karras in a uh, Fago commercial. 
Okay. And I thought that was pretty sexy. I said, so at 14, I thought that sounded a lot better than picking up clubs on a dirty steel floor. And um, so I was attracted to it. But Got it. I did not make any firm decisions. I was discouraged to go into any family business because family businesses by themselves make it very difficult for the, uh-huh. the stepson, if you will, or son to succeed. So you have to be better than everyone else and you have to be more aware that no one's going to trust you nor like you nor be your friend. So you, you were a student at University of Michigan, right? Uh, what was your course of study then? What um... when, I, when I graduated from Country Day, um, they encouraged me, even though I was accepted at Michigan and Wisconsin, to go to a small men's school. So I went to Lafayette College in Eastern Pennsylvania okay. for two years in 1969 and 70. And then those are the years of the anti-war protests. Sure. And I got very, very involved. And I came back to Ann Arbor in summer of 70 and um, graduated from Michigan two years later. Worked in the agency every summer. Okay. And um, so though I started at 16, my formal career didn't start until May of 73. In May of 73, did you go work somewhere else or right into what was then WB Donor and Company? Went right into WB Donor and Company as a media estimator that cleaned the closet out so I would have a little office. (laughs) um, Harry Potter-esque, yeah. And then... And then two years later, I went to our Baltimore office, excuse me, I went to our Baltimore office to learn how to be an account executive. Okay. And two years later, so four years into it, I had the great opportunity to pitch Chiquita Banana United Brands. And I did the basic background research and came up with the theory that Chiquita was doing 101 things wrong. And I got to present that to the Chiquita Board of Directors in Boston. And there I was, a 22-year-old, telling these multimillionaires all the mistakes that they were making. <laughs> it was very exciting. And successful pitch and win, correct? It was a successful pitch, and and we had two. We, we came, well, I came up with this idea that the trade was being under merchandised. We were selling a premium product and we weren't promoting it to the trade that was buying it. And so we decided to re-up our our interest in soliciting interest from all the wholesale buyers and created a trade marketing program that I remember securing full page four color ads and supermarket news and every other Mm -hmm. publication and stroking the benefits of why Chiquita sell better than bananas. And then we also did a consumer program, which is why Chiquitas taste better than bananas. And we did an on, I remember an on the street interview with consumers that would just walk by and we'd ask them, we'd show them two bananas. One was branded and one wasn't. And we'd ask them, which banana do you think tastes better? And of course they'd reach and try to, eat it. And we said, no, you can't eat it. You just have to tell us which one tastes better. Mm-hmm. And the first person we interviewed was a woman named Ann Finkelstein. And she became the campaign because she said, of course, chiquitas taste better than bananas. Why are you even asking me? And so that became our, our, our theme. And we 
hired Rita Marino to re-sing the Chiquita song. Sure. And as a very young ad guy, I was I was put on the map. So it was very exciting. And and so from that experience, you know, the, the headquarter agency founded in Detroit, and then you're in Baltimore, and then you kind of at what point do you get involved in the international operations and end up? That sort of was that was much later. Much know? later. Okay. Nineteen um, around 1982. So now I'm ten or twelve years into it. Um, we get a f- letter from Standard Oil of Ohio, so Ohio says that they're going to do a test where they're going to take the gasoline pumps out of the station and create a service oriented gasoline, non-gasoline service station. Okay. Only service. And it, I think it was a $90,000 budget. It was in, in Toledo, Ohio. We did the branding. We did the whole approach. It was successful. They extended it all over. Ohio it was called ProCare. Remember that? Yep. And then fascinating that the people from Ohio were then subsequently bought by the British Petroleum Company. Got it. And the same marketing people from Cleveland were sent to London to do the marketing. And we got invited in 1986 to pitch against Saatchi for the worldwide um, BP account. Of course, we didn't feel we had those kind of capabilities, but we certainly had a great creative product. Um, and I remember saying that we're going into the lion's den and we're going to get eaten off. <laughs> but um, but we had a great campaign. And again, a lot of basic research behind the campaign, um, which sort of came up with the thematic that this was before BP became the biggest polluter in the world. Mm-hmm. BP, big polluter. At that point, they were British Petroleum, which was one of the largest oil companies in the world. And we discovered that they really fueled virtually every kind of vehicle. And we came up with a great theme and shot it in multiple different languages. We always had to shoot um, an African version, an Asian version, and a European version. Um, And we were successful. they awarded us the account. We did a demo campaign. And Saatchi then asked that they do the media in 67 countries. And I remember going through Ad Age and calling up the top five media firms in the world and saying, you got 48 hours to come here and pitch us on why we should choose you. And they all flew in. And I remember Steve Levine, you may have remembered him. Mm-hmm. He and I sat and we heard these pitches and we made a decision that instead of placing the media ourselves, we would instead hire 67 local agencies who currently had the BP account and they would protect our interests and we would share in the media commission and we would have local support in every marketing mm-hmm. and office structure. So we were able to implement a worldwide media program using an international media house to do the planning. And then we subsequently opened up five international offices to service the account. And um, then I got into bringing Imes Pet Foods into the European continent and 
was able to bring Chiquita to a variety of markets because we agreed won the Chiquita account. So I became a globalist. Um, okay. A globalist who understood field marketing and local ops at the same time. It's all local. It's all local. Yep. Yeah. But we got to do cool big time commercials and it worked. But you had to test everything. You know, we, we would do the testing of every commercial and you'd get the results overnight and you'd know where you were. And I remember our theme line, which was BP, a company on the move. I remember that, yeah. It tested in, in England and, well, it tested in France, Germany, and England, but the results in Germany and France were fine. Translation worked, but in England, it meant BP was going to the bathroom, at least for 20 uh, okay. percent of the people. So, yeah. So, um, so we, <laughs> sorry, I, I skipped. We were, the campaign theme was a, a company in motion. And that's what we had to change to a company on the move. Got it. So, so yeah, I've had a quite, quite an exciting career up till 1992. Yeah, now, 20, okay, 20 years at WB Donor and Company, which for, you know, others in, that don't know the advertising business, that's like, you mentioned working on IMs and Yukonuba, that's, 40 or 50 years in any other business or career or whatever in experience and intensity and all that. But you, now you're you're at a place, it's a private agency. It's going through whatever sort of leadership shifts, changes onto, in a way, next generation kind of running it. What, I mean, I don't know exactly of, you know, you going there and, and then ending up at Solomon Associates. So talk talk about that 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 major shift in your business life, your career. Forty years old, my ten year old comes up to me and says, "Dad, you ever going to run your own business?" Mm -hmm. It was one of those moments in time where a light goes off above your head and you say, "Well, now I'm working for this fabulous agency that's got you know, seven eight offices, has six hundred employees. I'm a big stockholder, and yet." No one is more than five to six years older than me. And I'm not number one and I'm not number two and I'm probably number four or five. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I should open my eyes and look around and see what was available. And I got solicited by this guy named Robert Solomon who said, do you want to run your own agency? Okay. Two years older than me. And we met in... Um, he, had, he owned bunches of KFC franchises and had just sold his whole, a lot of his um, franchises to back to the corporation and okay. he was very well financed at that point. And so I was encouraged that I would be able to take over an agency that had financial underpinnings, was not in trouble. I bought in at a 50% owner. And at that point, the agency represented every movie studio in San Diego and Detroit. And what I described as a three-legged stool, we represented movie companies. We represented about 300 KFC franchises okay. in five different markets. And I was the third leg of the stool, and I was going to build a consumer advertising business. Got it. So... That's, that was the plan. I took over the agency. I became CEO at 40, president, answering my son's claim, are you ever going to run a company? 
and was very, very, we had a great run, although the dynamics of, of every business changes dramatically. And all the movie studios decided to leave co-op and take all their money. And instead of spending it locally, they would centralize it. They would hire national media agencies. And so by 2001, um, I was negotiating with the two biggest movie placement companies, one in the West Coast, one in Boston, and subsequently sold. At that point, I'd opened three additional offices in Phoenix, Denver, and um, Phoenix, Denver, and we had an operation in Chicago beginning. Um, and by selling it, I was able to sell, I was very, I was lucky, I was able to sell three quarters of the agency at that point, get rid of all the offices, get rid of all the travel, and have my own little office and my own little agency in Detroit with my 25 or 30 employees and was able then to use that as my platform for the next 30 years. And that and that platform was Solomon Friedman and Associates or SFA, correct? At that time or renamed then? I bought my partner out okay. two years, two, about 2002. Got it. And changed the name to, I kept the formal name Solomon Friedman Advertising LLC, but but yeah, I was the 100% owner. Um, we became SFA because everyone wanted shorter names. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then about 10 years ago, the creative people came to me and they said, you know, in this new world, people don't want to have agencies. They want to have integrated companies. So we renamed it and DBA became Real Integrated. Real Integrated. Okay. So in that, in that, you know, 90s, 2000, you've got your own agency, you, the, the legs of the stool, you focused on th that consumer-driven, brand-driven leg that you really knew. What would you say, what would you call kind of like a seminal pitch that you had and one like like Chiquita was, like BP was when you had your own, your own agency? We were, we were invited to pitch for the Henry Ford Museum okay. um, against all the big agencies in town including donor. And I had a good sense that we, at that point, we were initially invited in because they had an IMAX theater and we had movie back. Uh -huh. So that's how we got the invitation. But this was just after 9-11. Now this is John Mellencamp's era. This is the time frame that people were, were rallying around the flag. And my creative director, Chad O'Hill, um, had met this blind guy who was had a song that he would sing at Eastern Market on the weekends. Hmm. And the song was called Born in America. And we took that thematic with this guy who would sing about patriotism, essentially, and made him the centerpiece of our campaign. And the campaign became Born in America, and it was, we named Henry Ford as America's Greatest History Attraction. And that was and that was an exciting pitch, because we understood our consumer, we understood where it needed, and it fit the times. And we've kept that account for, we still have the account. So yeah, still have it, yeah. We were 30 years. Wonder, wonderful relationship. Uh, you know, and, 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 and so... 
you know, part of that switch to the name Real Integrated and the technology that was being brought into marketing, the digitization of things, there's sort of, as you look at your bio, your history, this ability to kind of see around a corner or, 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 or see what's next. So as you were doing that, somewhere along the way, you founded and sold a bank? Well, first and foremost, I always was surrounded by good, innovative people. Okay. Who bring me ideas. And I'm always open to ideas. And right. I'm not stuck in one way of doing things. I understand. And if you don't evolve, then you die. So I was always pretty, pretty excited to have people bring me ideas and try things. And some worked, some didn't. But but the constant evolution I thought was important. Now in 1983, I'm playing golf at um Ocean Reef on the ninth hole, I get a phone call from my brother who says his law firm is part of a group that's starting a bank. Do you have any interest in going on the board? I said, I'm 30 years old. I know nothing about banking, let alone I'm too young to be on a board. He said, no, that's not true. We can hmm. we can give you an opportunity. You can become one of the founders. And so in 83, we founded a bank. We named it Franklin. It was Franklin Savings. It became Franklin Bank. Okay. We subsequently had a great run, sold it, went public, sold it once, sold it again. <laughs> so we, you know, and I learned about finance by being on the board. I learned about how to make loans by being on the board. I also was able to run a campaign against all the big banks as I was quite familiar with how to compete against people who are bigger than you. And um, we had a very exciting run at Franklin Bank, and it taught me a lot. And so, yeah, I became an entrepreneur at a young age and have continually invested every year. I say, you got to make investments. They're not all going to work, but if one out of 10 hits, you're going to do great. And so I've had my successes, and I've had a lot of things that didn't work out, but I keep trying now, you know, one one of the things, I mean, this podcast started with me kind of getting together with people who were, you know, second, third, and beyond of these generational businesses. You have that entrepreneurial streak. You are at places that had those roots and did and made your impact and mark. Uh, but but more recently, early in this year, you you completed the sale of your agency to a bunch of senior partners. Can you just talk about because Clearly, you, you again, had that vision for it and it just happened. This was a planning process and thoughtful. Like, for listeners, can you kind of just outline that, that how, how you thought through that and how that came about? Because many companies don't naturally have family to take it on and take it over, but somebody has to and should. One of the, well, a few answers. One, um, the biggest crisis in advertising is holding on to your talent. And if your talent doesn't feel they have any place to go, mm -hmm. you lose your talent, you might lose your whole esprit de corps and your whole motivation and energy. And so I was always quite aware of that since that's what motivated me to leave the agency in the first place. Um, so being cognizant of the fact that people needed upward mobility and needed an opportunity as to what they're going to do with themselves. Um, even though I like the idea of being in the advertising business and never not being in it. Uh -huh. About 10 years ago, um, 
my creative director at that point, John Osnick, came to me and said that he was either going to go out on his own or uh -huh. would I give him an opportunity? And so that started a process, which ultimately led to the head account person about three years ago joining him and both of them saying that that's what they wanted to do with their career. And either I was going to give them that opportunity or they were going to go create their own opportunity. And I thought it was to the benefit of my family because none of my three boys had interest in working in the advertising business. Um, they all went to University of Pennsylvania, all Wharton graduates, two are Wharton graduates. One is just a graduate of Penn. They're all in finance. They had no interest in being in the advertising business. They always thought we worked too hard and didn't earn enough money. <laughs> but these two individuals in my agency were interested. Um, we worked out a plan, we had a strategy, and that strategy came to fruition. And that's why this year they completed the purchase on January 1st. And you know, I'm very excited, they're doing great. And I get to step into my next career which is, it never ends. I have the family of no. this and I have multiple. It's wonderful how you're answering all my questions before I even get to ask them, which is, makes my job easy. And I'm sitting here as an alumni of donor with that issue, as an alumni of Penn who got into this industry and yes, yeah, underpaid. So <laughs> there's a, I'm, I'm taking this to heart. <laughs> um, but I did know a little bit about your background. Yeah, no, there's there's some there's a lot of different interesting connections, but I you, so the ten, which which was which of the funds was the ten year old who posed that question to you about the eldest, the eldest who went to Penn because he thought it was a social ID. <laughs> sort of right, and uh, he so then did you feel you your household you discouraged them from going in the business or was it more just letting them find their way? Um. No, I, I think my wife was very compelling because I was traveling constantly. Yeah. Yeah, so I think she was discouraging them from going into the advertising business. Yeah, it was about the kind of road warrior nature of it versus the industry itself or the business. They, they love advertising. Yeah, love, I know. They're excited by it. But, you know, as I always said, the pitch was much more fun than the actual management of the account. <laughs> yeah. When you're pitching, you can do anything and say anything. And when you have the account, you then have clients who have their own opinions. That, no, that's very fair. I mean, it is that is the uh, the glamorous part of it. That and shoots, and it's yeah. such a small percentage of the actual workings. Uh, well, we'll talk about then. You know, because as I said, you're you've got these multiple chapters, and you're so you're someone who is in a business that had some family and family dynamics to it, but ultimately just became an advertising agency that went on to leadership teams that were chosen or won the, the, the battles and the blood sport and anything like that, but have continued a legacy agency and was private until they did a sale. Then you go into your, you know, a firm that existed that you run and have orderly transitioned to the next end. So now you're in a new venture with your sons. Yes, we've been family partners. Talk talk about that. About 20 years ago, I decided that all the investments that I had would be focused on a family office. So we created Friedman Family Partners. And 
I had each of the boys who had owned stock in the bank to sell their stock when we sold the bank. Ah. And invest in this LLC that we were creating. And even though they have a small percentage, it would ultimately become their company. And I would continue to make investments through that entity. And um, so it, it didn't just start, but what, what it is is that they've been very involved with every investment I've made, are aware of it, care about it, want to know about it. It enables us to do many things together, keeps us in touch. Nice. We have a unique profile as a family group. And we make a lot of different kinds of investments. We had the bank. We invested in a wholesale drug company. We invested as far afield as Pakistan with the Amazon of Pakistan called Chite to a telehealth company to a big international hotel group that runs. Awesome. So truly kind of your capitalist well, and a venture capitalist at the same time. And, it, and the boys are well positioned. One runs a big hedge fund. Second one run, is building data centers all over the world. And the third one was a bond trader who's now become more of a merchant banker. Gotcha. So with your expertise, I'm able to continue to go down this road of, of why not? <laughs> sure. And you're, I mean, it's, there's still, it's a different form of research that you're doing than you originally did the man on the street. Right. But you still, it's, there's still homework that you have to do. And, and I think, I think you have to have an instinct. Mm -hmm. You have to, well, I mean, you, you, you know, you bring that advertising thing to it. So you've, you, you have this, or you gave it more of this, this packaging of, of the family partners and it says business solutions for the new reality and then 2011 you rebranded your agency real integrated so i gotta get i just gotta ask you about like this idea of real and reality like why is that so important to you or does that come from something or am i making a weird connect the dots no we, we, we I, the dots aren't as clear as as you may think they are uh, but we were real integrated and I evolved a lot. You're not the first person to say that to me, so that's okay. <laughs> no, no there's, there's no connection except for the fact that I believe it. And it just, I like the way the line flowed. Yeah. And I think a, a family office needs to be positioned, not as a legacy company, but as someone that's forward-looking. Yeah, I like, I like, I like well, because the new reality is, is keeps moving too, so. Changing, yeah. and there's a dynamic in business I mean, we live in a digital culture right now that didn't exist 20 right. years. And I suspect a different reality will happen within the next 20 years and, and on and on and on. But, you know, so, and I, I get excited by learning about new businesses, which is exactly what I did for the my whole career. Every account you ever pitched, you had to learn about it. You had to know yeah. as much about their business as they said they knew so that you could position them appropriately. I don't think that's changed. I still do my research before we make investments. Yeah. And then we there, is, there is certainly, I mean, same as you, that passion for that, that parallel of learning new categories, learning new businesses, understanding the business, understanding the audiences. And 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 sometimes in, in those things you choose to get into and those choosy things you choose not to get into, uh, you can reflect upon sometimes too. The ones we dodge. 
to your to your listeners, I would only suggest that, as I've told my boys forever, go into as many investments as you can, because if you don't, you don't get invited the next time. Mm. They'll always look past you. So if you support someone, then they come back to you with other ideas. And I found that to be a successful premise. And it's not the horse, it's the jockey, and the jockey's going to find out the right horse. So Sure. And then, I, you know, I've asked, I mean, I've, you know, different questions. And every time I've done these podcasts with a few sort of couple that I like to just get at or repeat. And, and it's, you know, it's not, it, it's a, it's a reflection thing is you look at your journey through business or a career and you're still active and doing stuff in your seventies and involved with your kids. That's great. Like what, what have been some of the most fulfilling things for you about your stops in, you know, mostly the advertising in business uh, and, and the people that you've worked with and the things that you've gotten to do and see. And I think that it's made a big difference in recognizing that I can make a contribution to help a business succeed, to help a mm-hmm. profit be successful, to help a, I think we, we create great benefits. Um, so wherever I've been involved, and I, you know, I've been involved probably with every nonprofit there is in Detroit at some point along the way. Um, I think we're doing a lot of good in the world. So. Are there are there some mantras that you took kind of from your time at Donor or then when you were running your own agency that you found yourself regularly repeating to others? I always, you I always told, you know, were we really America's greatest history attraction? Were we really, um, um, you know, the, the, the world? I mean, each time I believed in claims, I believed that my clients can live up to the claim. Okay. I said, never, never don't make a claim. Never don't look bigger and more successful than you may think you are. And I think that's promoted me in everyone I've ever worked with. I asked them to look inside themselves and then reach because they can only, if they don't reach, they'll never be as good as they can be. And so my positioning was always big and bold and claim driven. And I always found mm-hmm. that my calls could live up to those claims and it made them better. No, that's that's a that's a great encapsulation because I think about like future Chiquita work with you know quite possibly the world's most perfect food, you know, and you think about what a claim that is, but also how if you had to pick almost one thing to eat, if you needed nutrients, you needed whatever you could live on, yeah, you know it works, and they 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 were able to do it legally and do it and own it. Uh, and it was, sorry, go ahead. It was quite a claim, and yeah, they had to live up to that. And then you look at that claim, which was a pretty bold claim. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, you know, it's the first food you feed a baby. It's the last food you feed when you die. It's got all these nutrients. Yeah. It, it's, it comes in its own package. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty unique delivery system. So, yeah, I thought that was a that was valid. And, you know, you just go down the road every client I've ever had. I try to find that kernel of, nice. of, of something. It, is, is there is there anything from, you know, just talk about generation excellence, spanning generations and working with so many different businesses, colleagues, clients that I neglected to ask you about or you want to kind of point out or spotlight? Um, can you ask it a, a 
again, I'm, I'm I just, sure. I, I mean, you know, doing my own research on, on you and your career, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss a component there that you wanted to highlight or that you're particularly proud of. Well, I'm particularly proud of the fact that the agency that I took over in 2001 has a great future. I agree. We'll continue. That most agencies die, they don't live. This one is going to have a generational influence, not by my generation, but by the people who I influenced in that generation. I believe they're financially sound, and I believe that's a strong legacy. I believe starting the Great Lakes Chamber Music Festival in 1980, in the late 80s, um, you know, Joe Antonini, the head of Kmart, and me came together, and we created a, a interdenominal a denomination uh, event that had no chances of success. <laughs> and at the first year, we ended up with a positive budget. And here we are 28 years later um, with a multi-million dollar budget, 23, 30 different concerts a year that occurred during this festival season that we styled after um, the Santa Fe Music Festival. Already. Okay. And I believe that's a that's a major contribution that I've made. So I like that. I like the fact that nonprofits called me up and they asked for help. Yeah. Logos or, or with a vision or, you know, and I always would do the research, do the consumer surveys and come back and give them an idea. Um, now I, my legacy is, is, is not what I'm, it's not what I'm doing today. It's what I've done in the past. Sure. And, and and setting those other people up. I'm glad you brought that those those nonprofits and those community things up because it's really another leg of that stool that you had, yeah. right? which is serving the community and giving back and doing that while you're running all over the globe and doing the work you did. So, I I applaud that. Well, I mean, Dean Friedman, I I again, I, you 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 represent the idea of Generation Excellence. I know it's taken us like if it's not months or years or COVID got in there and made life tough to connect and get together and stuff. But I, I thank you for coming on and telling these parts of your story because there's there's just pieces of it that are relevant to so many people that are in business. I, it's not encouraging everybody to leave the place they work and start their own thing, but they if they want to do that, chase the dream. Anything else you want to add? Or well, I just want to thank you for what you do. Thank you for having this interest and in, and. In what you've lived through, how you see it represented in other people and how they've dealt with it. And I think that's quite inspiring by itself. So Some, I mean, I love HBO succession, but somebody's got to tell some of the real stories too. Generation Excellence is a production of SMZ Advertising. Thanks to Joel Bienenfeld, Jeff Martin, and Bridget Georgeski for help with this program. Thank you for listening and please share, leave reviews, and contact me if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions. Until next time.